0: Our reading today is from Luke uh, chapter 11, verses 37 verse to 10, chapter 12, verse 3. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then. Outside, make the inside also. But now it's what is inside you. Be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the life of God, leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important of in synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves. Which people walk over without knowing. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. But Jesus replied, And you, experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you built tombs with prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed Woe to you, experts of the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you hindered those who were entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Meanwhile, when the crowd of many thousands of gadgets, so that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the East, Pharisees. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed in the world.
1: For that reading, and let me begin with a prayer from John Dunn, that great uh, man of the past who lived in Mitcham, South London, back in the day. This is one of his poems. What a wonderful prayer! He prays this Batter my heart, three person God. Would you break, blow, burn, and make me new? Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are one who deals with our hearts above all. Please come and speak to each of our hearts this very lunchtime. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, such a privilege to be here uh, this uh, Tuesday lunchtime. Um, I don't know what you were doing Sunday night. It, it was, of course, the beginning of uh, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, uh, starring Nigel Farage. There he was, eating pizza the first night. That was his challenge he had to do, eating all this sorts of really gross stuff on his pizza down there in the jungle in Australia. But, The washing up stories in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, are interesting. A couple of years ago, I don't know if you're a big fan of the programme, I'm I'm not particularly, but uh, Shane Ritchie was there doing the washing up, or supposedly doing the washing up, a couple of years ago. And he he went off, did did the pots and pans. And then moments later, another contestant, AJ Pritchard of Strictly Dancing fame, uh, came and saw Shane's washing up and was appalled. He was furious at the washing up happened. And so he took it upon himself to put on the marigolds or whatever they do in the jungle and he started washing up. And he was furious at Shane. And when he saw Shane it was captured on camera. He said, I think they could have put a bit more blood, sweat and tears into that washing up. And they had a real bust up. Washing up can be a tense old thing can't it? Well, that's in the jungle or in the first century. Because that's what we've got here. A lesson in washing up. Did you see that there in verse 39? Jesus says as you would, or maybe you wouldn't as a dinner guest. You Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. This is a washing up lesson like no other. And Jesus goes right to the heart. He is saying right from the top, you know what? You can be squeaky clean on the outside, but on the inside it can be a very different sort of story. He says, you can look impressive on the outside, but inside, you know, your soul can be shrunken. Your walk with the Lord can be shriveled up. And on the outside, you can't tell. That's what he's saying, It's warning, in this washing up lesson. And it's a question of integrity, isn't it? That sense of the outside matching the inside, front stage matching backstage. Integrity, which is, I'm led to believe, in the Code of Conduct for MPs, one of the seven principles of public life is integrity. And we we long for it, we strive for it in our own lives and in Whitehall and in every workplace. In my old law firm, I remember a time where I asked my clerk to do something, which perhaps I shouldn't have done. I had a complaint about a file. uh, We had lots of legal aid clerks, lots of complaints heading our way, um, or my way at least. And I had to send this file off to the legal ombudsman because there'd been complaints as about me and lots of other colleagues. And so before we printed off the file, because it was paperless, uh, I said to Zach, my clerk, Zach, could you just sort of tidy it up a bit? You know, dot the I's, cross the T's, would you? Just, you know, make it look a bit nicer, smarter. And he, I emailed him this, and he shot into my office. He said, Ed, I am not doing that. You've got to keep your integrity. If you haven't got that, you haven't got anything. And he dashed out after that. And I sort of looked at my desk with my tail between my legs, thinking, fair enough, good point. Integrity matters. That's what Jesus Christ is after. And that's what he, in love, is putting his finger on with these Pharisees. And of course, just as Zach, those words cut me to the heart, well, those words of Jesus would have cut them to the heart. But these are words from a surgeon, a heart surgeon, who is tender like no other. And he... He hurts only to cure and to heal. What a heart surgeon we have in Jesus Christ. And just a couple of things I want to tease out from our passage today. It's the diagnosis, the symptoms, and the cure. Okay? There we have it, the diagnosis. And and it's already there. We've seen it in verse 39. But look at the the sort of setting of the scene. Verse 38. uh, The Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that on coming into dinner, Jesus didn't wash first before meal fascinating isn't it a lack of washing we know a lot about washing post-covid remember those 20 seconds there we go 20 seconds get your hand gel out two meter distance and the rest well that is nothing compared to the cleaning that a first century orthodox jew would have gone through before most things And that wouldn't have been a a simply physical thing, physical hygiene, but more spiritual hygiene. For them, it was a picture of of cleansing oneself from the contamination out there in the anti-God, Gentile world. Well, let's clean ourselves up. Let's sort ourselves out. And as we do that, things were tightening up, tightening up all the time about how to clean yourself up. And that meant, well, it was also tightening up who was in and who was out. And the standards were getting higher and higher and higher. Like, like a basketball hoop and and, uh, net thing that just keeps getting higher. And it's only the very tallest that can jump and get in. And with these rules and rules and rules, Jesus cuts through them all <laughs> and says, 39, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. That's, That's one way to kill a conversation at dinner, isn't it? And Jesus goes there. It's as if he takes the hand sanitizer and instead of putting it in the hoop, he chucks it in the bin and he says, you guys, you have got to get sorted what is going on inside of you, not just what's on outside. It's possible to be 10 out of 10 on the outside, but inside to barely score one out of 10 in God's standards. And to be honest, I find this so frightening. Because here I am, he's talking to lawyers, I'm a lawyer. He's talking to a religious leader, I'm a supposedly leader in the religious establishment. And Jesus is turning both barrels to religious types like me and maybe like you. And he's just saying, Ed, guys, Tuesday lunchtime, just watch out. What's going on in your heart? Because like this dinner table, it's possible to be inches, literally inches, away from Jesus Christ, and yet in your heart be miles away from him. Just like these Pharisees. And Jesus wants to come and and heal that. I guess we do need to be careful, obviously, as we read in Luke's Gospel, how Jesus addresses different categories of people. Because there's, what, there's crowds, there's disciples, there's Pharisees. And, And each one's got slightly different issues. And, and Jesus here, he's addressing Pharisees, not disciples. So we have got to be careful in how we apply what he's saying here to you and I today. Because if we're Christians this lunchtime, if we follow Jesus, then that means, well, we're in a particularly different category, essentially, to a Pharisee. Because, well, we do want to follow Jesus, and, and we do want to lean into him, and, and we know something of his spirit and the cleansing of that spirit work in our hearts, And and we do want to follow him, we do want to receive Jesus. But these Pharisees, well they're the opposite, they want to reject and resist and refuse him, which is a very different category. And so the warnings Jesus applies to them are distinct from the warnings he gives to his disciples. And so we just need to be careful, tender, those of us with tender consciences, um, do see that Jesus is speaking first and foremost to those who aren't yet following him. Though he longs that they do. And yet, and yet, we can still be Pharisee-ish, can't we? However much we have the fullness of the Spirit within. It's it's there lurking in all of us. What John Newton, the mentor to William Wilberforce, called the spice of legalism, is there lurking in all of our hearts. You know that sense of, of... of earning your way, of making your mark, of proving, of performing, of climbing the ladder to be assured of God's um, welcome of you. We can do it in all sorts of subtle ways. And, and we've seen the diagnosis there, but let's just look at a couple of the symptoms there because they're there. There's six or seven woes Jesus gives us. But let me just tease out two. They're climbing and comparing. Look what Jesus says in Verse 42. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give tenth—you have God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs—but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter, without leaving the former undone. Do you see the climbing? It's, it's almost comical, I think. You can imagine them getting out their IKEA tape measure and, and they've got their little pot plants in their flat apartment and there's some rin and some ruin. Oh, it's 10 centimetres this week. Oh, I'll just... Okay, one centimetre, that's a, a tide. God, that's yours. And, and they put the tape measure away and do the next plant and again and again and again. It's, it's, it's meant to amuse us, I think, at the, the mathematical precision of some pot plants. That these guys are entertaining, and yet you look deeper, and actually, to be honest, even mint was not um, included in the in the Torah. There was nothing in the Torah about uh, tying your mint, and then this other herb, rue. Well, that was expressly excluded from being tied in the extra rules they made the Mishnah. So even the extra rules they made up themselves, they were wanting to impose upon themselves and others. They were climbing, 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 in dutiful, dutiful, or legalism. It's not devoted love, it's dutiful legalism. Climbing, climbing, climbing. There it is. And the thing is, as they go as high as the sky, you see in their souls, while they are as shallow as a puddle, really, underneath it all, it's as if the shiny BMW outside is nice and squeaky and lovely, but underneath, in the bonnet, in the fuel tank, it's running empty, spiritually speaking. And God, above all, He's offering them love. <laughs> They're neglecting the love of God. We're told in verse 42. They're doing all this external climbing stuff, but underneath, under the bonnet, in their hearts, the love of God—it's—it's it's a vacuum. They don't know it, and that is a tragedy, isn't it? That God is one who, in his grace, offers to us to be a cherished daughter or son. To be welcomed into his family, not by how well we're climbing, but because he just wants to welcome us in. And he's done so through Jesus Christ. That is the message he longs that they might hear, and the the message that he longs that you and I sit in and deepen our appreciation of again and again. And yet so often in places in life, somewhere like this, even in church, even at home, and the family dinner table, there can so easily be that sense of needing to make the grade, perform, keep impressing, keep going, keep climbing. I wonder where you feel it in your life. I, um, I dare say it's there. And all of us, Newton knew it in his heart. He talked of his deep, cavernous heart. Deep, you go through one cave and there's another deep cave in his heart of, of the spice of legality, of being unsure, really, of God's free welcome. And so you feel you have to add and add and climb. I think of my old law firm where every month my team, we would gather in the boardroom upstairs, 20, 25 of us, And my head of department would be there. He'd be sitting by the projector, the PowerPoint, (laughs) Uh, either grinning or frowning as he walked in, depending on what was on the screen. Because every month on the screen was projected our fee targets, our time recording billing results. (laughs) And if you were below target, you'd be in red, your name and your number. (laughs) And if you were above target or meeting your target, you'd be in green. And literally, as you walked in the door, you knew which colour you'd be, because of the colour, uh, the, 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 the face of my boss's um, smile. Often it was a frown for me, because I was below target. But sometimes it would be a grin. And then I got a smile. And every month, it was a, it was a treadmill like no other. A performance treadmill. Have I made the grade, have I made the grade? Climb, 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 run, run, run. And that is so there in all of us, spiritually, unless the Lord does a work in us. And the glory of Jesus Christ is that he invites you and me to step off the treadmill. Just turn it off and get off, step out of the boardroom. You don't need to be there. Please, come and have my perfect green record and I'll deal with your red debt. Please, come out of the boardroom and come home to me. That's what he's saying to these Pharisees. Because that's the symptom, the climbing. I wonder if you can recognise that in yourself this lunchtime. It can manifest itself in a whole, way, a whole range of ways. Climbing. But also, secondly, not just climbing, but comparing. Because you know when you climb a ladder, you can't help but compare what's underneath you and what's above you. See that in verse 43. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace. Gosh, that's... I, I guess many of us can relate to that. You love the most important seats. Not just you love the important seats, but the most important seats. That's the nature of this sort of heart. It's not just climbing, it's compar- comparing. It's comparing. Which C.S. Lewis, you'll remember in his classics, says that is the great, that's the very heart of pride, it's comparing. He says this, pride is essentially competitive. It's competitive by its very nature, while the other vices are competitive only, so to speak, by accident. He says it's the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. And that's what these Pharisees knew was going on in their hearts. They loved the most important place. And I do too. And I dare say you do too as well perhaps. Somewhere they're lurking in the caves of our heart is that desire to not even just be in an important place but in a more important place than someone else. And Jesus in his love is showing us this diagnosis. He's pointing out the symptoms. Not to condemn us. Or to cancel us, but to cure us, he is the heart surgeon like no other. Because as we draw to a close, we do see hints of the cure here. Because Jesus, of course, isn't giving us a cure of you say, of saying to us, "You guys, wash yourselves up. You, 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 impress. You, you better improve your washing up skills. Come on, tidy up." <laughs> No, he comes on alongside us and starts to wash, up, wash us up in a way that only he can. It is amazing the kindness of Jesus. He, he gives us the new heart, the very heart that we need and that we can't have on our own. He doesn't say, I'm going to cancel you, I'm going to condemn you. That's so often what happens in life here and elsewhere. You get cancelled. But Jesus, he doesn't cancel in judgment. He comes in grace. He comes not to condemn, but to cure. Because look how our story draws to a close in verse 53. When Jesus went outside. Doesn't strike as particularly significant, does it? But the other time that's used in in Luke's gospel is 10 chapters later, when after the last supper, Jesus went outside. Because there, as he heads outside of that mealtime, that second mealtime, the last supper, as he heads outside of the city walls, as he is thrown on a garbage heap, he gets canceled so that we could be cured. He gets treated as, a, as one with a filthy heart so that we could get his perfectly clean heart. What a doctor we have in Jesus Christ, a heart surgeon like no other who comes to cure and and by his spirit gives us a new heart. That is the love of Jesus Christ. He's not a Pharisee about the Pharisees. He's saying all this out of love to come and heal them, if they would have it. And I suppose as we close, the question for us is this. Will we come to and continue coming to Jesus Christ for that newness of heart, that he gives off, gives once and for all, but he continues to give and change, day after day, week after week. Because he's one who, as Pritchard said to Ritchie, well, he said, you could have put a bit more blood, sweat and tears into washing up. And Jesus is one who says with gladness, I have given my blood and my sweat and my tears. To wash you up. That's the length I've gone to. That's how much I love you. And the joy of being a Christian is to receive that. And to let him do that for you. In a way that no one else can. And in a way he's delighted to do. I wonder. Are you continuing to receive that today? The washing up that Jesus Christ gives you. The washing up lesson the washing up of life and of heart. Why don't us? So pray as we close. Break, blow, burn and make us new. Three persons, God, batter our hearts. Father, thank you that you're the sort of God who doesn't just batter in love, but you bind us up in love. You don't just point out things, you clean us up. And we pray that each one of us, maybe for the first time, or perhaps for the millionth time, we know the joy, the grace, the wonder, that you're the sword of Lord who rolls up your sleeves and washes us up gladly through your own blood, sweat and tears. Give us hearts that rejoice in that and so want to live lives of integrity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.